Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today I am talking to a fellow gluten-free warrior. I have the author of Dear Gluten, It's Not Me, It's You, as well as the creative mastermind behind the blog, Good For You, Gluten-Free Blog. So please welcome into the fast lane with me today, Jenny Levine Fink. Ah, Thank you for having me, Dr. Sarah. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because if someone is not gluten-free, they just don't get it. So sometimes it's hard to have these gluten conversations. Have you found that to be true? Oh, 100%. I think talking about diet and gluten is like talking religion or politics with someone. (laughs) It's sort of an untouchable topic. People are very attached to food. Mm -hmm. And if you are not in the gluten-free community and you don't really understand what it's like to have a food allergy or a disease that requires a special diet, it can be extremely hard to understand our plight, right? So for sure, I don't talk nutrition with people unless they want to. Right. Because the thing is, is I'm not, I am not judging what people eat and I'm assuming you're not too, but we, you know, sharing is caring. And when you care about people, you like to educate and try to make things better for them. Right. Exactly. And I, I feel like if you know something that can help someone else, you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it with the world. But like I said, it can make people very defensive, you know, especially people who may be experiencing some sort of chronic issue or autoimmune disease. And, you know, even the thought of you taking their gluten away from them, they're like, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) So it's so tell us why you're gluten-free. How did you find out um, that you needed to be gluten-free? Right. So I, like so many people, I'm not gluten-free by choice. It sort of happened to me. I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And while it was such a relief to know my painful bloating and gas and all of those fun classical celiac symptoms that I was having was going to come to an end now that I knew what I had and what I had to do, um, it was still a very difficult process to heal my body and really recover from celiac disease. But I am gluten-free because of celiac disease, but I also support the community of people who are gluten-free, not just for celiac disease, but also for a variety of gluten disorders, including non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is very serious, by the way. We just don't have a lot of information on it, but I always say don't mistake not a lot of research or information for not a real disorder. Like you can't, it's a real disorder and it affects so many more million people than, than celiac. So what, how would you describe, so a lot of people don't know the difference between celiac disease and a gluten intolerance. So what is the difference between the two of them? Right. So they're very similar in the way that they're treated, right? We both have to eat gluten-free, whether you have celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, which is called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, although some people refer to it as a gluten intolerance. Uh, Celiac disease, though, is an autoimmune disease. And what that means is your immune system becomes confused and it starts to attack healthy tissue surrounding your small intestine. And so every time you eat gluten, your body launches this autoimmune attack and basically attacks this small intestine, which is responsible for absorbing and distributing nutrients throughout your body. It's a really essential organ. It feeds all the other organs in your body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if your small intestine is not working 
Houston, we have a problem, right? So that's <laughs> what people with celiac disease are dealing with their bodies, their immune systems are overreacting and attacking gluten at its source. And that can lead to all sorts of symptoms and other disorders. Um, people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity or a gluten intolerance, it is not classified as an autoimmune disease, at least not yet. And like I said, we don't have a ton of research on it, but we know that, gosh, I think I have the stat here. Yes, uh, 20 million people in the US have gluten sensitivity, which is a crazy number of people. Wow. That is a lot of people saying, hey, I eat gluten and it doesn't sit right with me. And um, we just don't know a lot about it. Some of the testing methods aren't quite proven, but I don't think 20 million people can be making this stuff up, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so it's not, again, not an autoimmune disease. It's more of an intolerance to a food. Your body is reacting. And what happens when people with gluten sensitivity eat, I'm sorry, when people with gluten sensitivity eat gluten, it inflames their body. It causes inflammation in their body. And so we all know, we don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that inflammation can lead to disease as well and very mm -hmm. serious disorders. And so there's a lot of uh, doctors and people out there talking a lot about autoimmune disease and how gluten might be a huge contributing factor to all sorts of autoimmunity in this world. So when, if I have gluten now, and if I have gluten is only by complete accident, um, it feels like I have a golf ball with screws coming out of it, moving slowly through my body and I can't move. Like I am in bed. Wow. Uh, there's, I am useless. So my husband will even say like every now and then he's like, that didn't have gluten, did it? And I said, no, it shouldn't have. And he's like, okay. Cause both of our day will be ruined tomorrow because <laughs> I can't help with the kids. I can't help with anything. And people find that very dramatic, but it is it is absolutely debilitating to me to have gluten. Right. And you have celiac, right? I do. You have celiac. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and, th and this is what's really interesting is that every body, individual body reacts different. And so mm -hmm. I think, I think what you experience, a lot of people with celiac disease experience, it can be very, uh, you know, debilitating. And it is, it is a disability. It actually has, you know, we have protections under the American Disabilities Act because it is a digestive disorder. It is a disability. And so, yes, I think even a little gluten can really affect someone with celiac disease and they can have very visible physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. We also see a lot of people who have what's known as asymptomatic or silent celiac disease where they don't have any symptoms or they have symptoms that they don't realize are connected to celiac disease. You know, they don't have that stomach ache or that diarrhea or any of those classical symptoms. You know, they might have a skin condition or migraines or um, something like even osteoporosis, you know, things yeah. like that, other conditions that can be related to poor uh, nutrition, malabsorption, all that kind of stuff too. But I agree. I, I can be, if I accidentally eat gluten, which is very rare and it happens though, it happens when you eat out, it can happen with cross-contamination or just a simple mistake. Um, I definitely have that, you know, I have to be near a bathroom and I have to, um, take some time to <laughs> recover. It's, it's not like I can just bounce back super quick. Mm -mm. And what do you think with people who know they have a, uh, a sensitivity to gluten or even celiac, what are the repercussions for them if they do not follow the diet? 
Oh, such a great question. Oh my gosh, I'm researching an article on this right now <laughs> about, you know, like, can you die? You know, will you get cancer? What happens if you have celiac disease? So there's, there's actually a lot there and I can, let me see if I can remember everything that I've been researching right now. But, you know, I think that people with celiac disease actually have a slightly higher um, risk of early death and cancer, you know, certain kinds of cancers. But what I was finding overall is that people who manage their celiac disease through diet right now, the only treatment option for celiac disease is a strict gluten-free diet. Those who are managing their celiac disease actually go on to live long and healthy lives and many disease-free, um, even um, some studies indicate that people who are, have celiac disease, who are managing their diet are at lower risk for certain cancers, like a lower risk of breast cancer, lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, wow. right? We might be at higher risk for bowel or uh, intestinal cancers and things like that, but um, not much, it's a slight increase. Um, so we're finding that people really can go on and live healthy, long lives. I think the issue comes when someone isn't managing their diet. And I'm not talking about accidental glutening here and there, but someone who's just actively eating gluten and not really, <laughs> not really caring, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, and I get it. There is a huge treatment burden to this, this disease that it just, it is. And I, we can talk all about that in a little bit too, but, um, for those who are not maybe taking their diet and treatment seriously, there's all sorts of complications. There's a higher risk of getting cancer. There's a higher risk of other autoimmune diseases. I actually think I have a stat here too. Um, I think it's, uh, let's see, it's, yeah, you have a 34% chance of getting another autoimmune disease if you have celiac disease. And that increases if you are not properly managing. Um, and that's with problem. following the diet. Yes. Wow. It is. And, it, and it's, it's, I believe it's for adult, if you're diagnosed as an adult, it's really a case for early detection. If we can catch it earlier through screening and things like that. And before symptoms really blow up, you have a less likely chance of accumulating other autoimmune diseases or other disorders that are more serious and life-threatening. Yeah. And other autoimmune uh, like type one diabetes is really common. We see Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, we even see increase in multiple sclerosis and some of these other very serious autoimmune conditions. And then for people who are unresponsive to the gluten-free diet, so there's actually a small percentage of the population with celiac disease, I think it's about one to 2% of the population, um, they are unresponsive to the treatment of a gluten-free diet. And that is usually then diagnosed as what's called refractory celiac disease. And it usually, in almost all cases, affects someone over 50. And the prognosis for that is not good. Um, usually it's, I think it's um, like a five-year prognosis of death. You know, 70% of the patients wow. die within five years of that. Um, but that's, again, a very more serious form of celiac disease for the majority of people with celiac disease, especially if it is caught earlier, earlier, the better. Um, the prognosis is really good. And hey, you're going to live a long, healthy life. That's what I hope. That's the way I feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you said that um, about the early diagnosis, because I 
Okay, so I'm married with three children and I had my husband do a stool sample. So we sent it to this uh, lab in, in Texas and medical doctors looked through it and they told him he should be gluten-free, okay? So then fast forward, every time we've had a child, I've done a gene swab on them, sent it to the same lab and all three of them have both genes for celiac disease. Now that does not mean they currently have celiac disease, but that means if they don't have it now, because I'm not going to have an endoscopy for three of my children to find out, right? Um, um, I have just kept them gluten-free from the get-go because I think it's like buying flood insurance. The river is right here. It's right beside my house. The river could overflow. So I'm going to buy some insurance, right? So if I would not keep them on a gluten-free diet and now all of a sudden they're 10 and they're, they've been living this normal gluten infested standard American diet. And now they're at a birthday party. I'm sorry, honey, you can't have cake. You can't have pizza. Oh, you can't have Twizzlers anymore. And you can't have tomato soup. I just thought it would be way harder to remove that than to just never give it to them. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Right. Oh, well, you know, my thoughts are, you know, worth, you know, two cents here, not much. <laughs> well, <but> I care. <laughs> you know, I think this is what I like. Remember what I said before is diet is such a personal thing to everybody. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, people have different beliefs around food and attachments mm -hmm. to food. So totally get it. It's an emotional experience. Now, celiac disease while it is a genetic disorder and you do have to have one of the two genes, which is HLA-DQ2 or DQ8. So if you have celiac disease, you have one of those genes. Genes do not dictate if you have the disorder. So you can have the gene and never get celiac disease. Um, there's actually three I guess, causes of celiac. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but you obviously have to have the gene. You have to be eating gluten. And usually there's some sort of what they call intestinal permeability, which can be caused from trauma or leaky gut. I think my celiac disease turned on in my early thirties when I had my daughter and, um, and she's, <laughs> she's 13 now, but I, um, I really think that, yes, your children do have a higher risk. I actually don't think. I know your children are at higher risk of having celiac disease because they have a first degree relative and it's, it's a much higher probability that they'll get celiac disease, but their genes do not dictate whether they will have celiac. So, you know, I don't know the right advice to give someone. And obviously I'm not a doctor and I always say talk to your doctor, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I obviously have celiac disease and I have children, so I worry about them too. And so what my children, I have tested both of my children. My son does not have the gene, ironically, but my daughter does have the celiac gene. Neither of them have celiac disease. We've had them tested many times over um, and will no longer test my son for celiac disease now that I know he doesn't have the gene, which was mm -hmm. really like kind of a nice thing to know. I don't have to keep watching him, but I do have to watch my daughter. And so we we don't eat gluten in our home. And so a lot of my children's meals, the vast majority of my children's meals are gluten-free just because our home is gluten-free and mm -hmm. I'm controlling the kitchen. So, mm -hmm. and I'm controlling the grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. I know once they go out to eat with friends or when they, you know, go to college and, and go off on their own, they have the choice to eat as much gluten as they want. 
But I have talked to them about maybe eating a low gluten diet because a low gluten diet will hopefully not turn on the gene in the same way. Like you do have to be eating gluten for that celiac gene to turn on. And so it's something they just need to be aware of their whole lives. Well, particularly my daughter, my son could still have a gluten sensitivity that obviously is part of his genetic makeup as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I tell you, you know, I don't think children who are, you know, our first degree relatives have to eat gluten-free, but you do have to watch them. And obviously gluten is a trigger that turns on celiac disease genes. And so I do think it's wise to, you know, not be crazy eating gluten, but it is, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think you're taking a prudent approach, but I don't know if they have to be as strict, I guess. But again, mm-hmm. that's only worth two cents and I'm not a doctor. So <laughs> no, I get it. And I was diagnosed at 22. So that was 17 years ago. And it was very difficult because I was a pasta eater, probably daily, or bread, cereal, whatever. And emotionally, the toll it took on me, it was so hard. And in 2004, there was not the options for gluten-free like we have now. I was eating nasty, gross corn noodles that weren't even holding together. Um, and, and now it's a lot better. So I don't think that anyone is left out because they can still have cake and cookies and, you know, and they, and they're not so grainy. Oh, gosh, that some of that stuff was just so bad. And then you'd want to eat it because you worked so hard to make it. But, um, no, I know this right gluten can be such a pain, but (laughs) when I go out to eat, I do not like to ask for a gluten-free menu because more oftentimes than not, it is seen as an inconvenience. Do you, does that happen where you live or are people just uneducated about this or where are we at on that? Right. Oh, well, you're making me think of this, this UK, I think it was the UK, the study came out a few years ago and um, they, it was about, you know, adults and if they would date someone who was gluten-free, isn't that crazy? There was a study on this, but um, right. And 44% of people who responded to the surveys described gluten-free people as high maintenance and more than 40% said they wouldn't date someone who was gluten-free. More than 40%? Yes. I get your reluctance to share that information because yeah, we do appear to be more high maintenance, even though we are following a medically necessary diet. We are not taken seriously because we're kind of caught up in this fad of, you know, Miley Cyrus is gluten-free, you know, and, (laughs) but she doesn't need to be right. Like we're caught in this celebrity fad diet world, but you, me, and so many millions of people suffering from celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity do need a medically necessary gluten-free diet. And so I think the more that we speak up, the more we normalize this conversation, um, I think we make it better for that next generation. And I think this next generation, our children are going to come up in a world where food allergies, celiac disease, these things are kind of normal to them. Um, It's not stuff, you know, as someone part of Gen X that we, I grew up with personally, you know, I didn't have any friends with food allergies, gluten, what, I don't know any of this stuff until I became an adult and it happened to me. And so I do think that 
the more we can speak up, the more we can even educate a restaurant, you're going to make it better for the next person that comes. And I feel that I feel that duty. I don't know why I feel it so strong, but I feel that duty to this community to really try to make it better for the next person. I love it. My best friend did have to be uh, gluten-free. And then whenever she would come, she would bring all her stuff. So but that is way before 2004. So she's bringing rice cakes and stuff like that. And again, there's kind of a stigma wrapped around it. Like, oh my gosh, you can only eat rice cakes and you can't have this and you can't have that. And I think it's easy to focus on what you can't do versus what you actually can. And do you ever find, cause I've done this several times in the past, I more apologize for what I can't eat. So if I'm at someone's house or I specifically remember going to a wedding rehearsal dinner and they had spaghetti and I had just the sauce and, and other people are, Oh, did you need anything else to eat? And then I said, no, this is great. Thank you. And I didn't want to say, well, I have celiac disease because I didn't want anyone to feel like they needed to cater to me or change the way it was. I always think I need to apologize because it's more of a hassle than anything. Do you, have right. you ever felt that way? Oh, 1 million percent. I mean, and, and we touched on this earlier is there's such an emotional burden to this disease that people have no idea. You know, they have no idea how easy it is to be, you know, at a street fair and just grabbing food and eating it and going to a restaurant, just ordering whatever you like. And I had never, there's been many moments that I felt different because I had celiac disease, but never as much as when I traveled. And I've had many breakdowns. Like I just remember even traveling in France and just feeling like such a burden and, you know, all these street vendors with crepes and things like that, that you can order and eat. And I'm hungry, but everyone else is getting food. It's, it's a really hard emotional burden that people don't quite understand. I think that if you do have to eat gluten-free and it is a medically necessary diet for you is that you have to surround yourself with really good people. So my kids get really, you know, get really upset if there's nothing for mom. We're not eating at that restaurant if there's nothing for mom. <laughs> My husband, in an act of solidarity, will order gluten-free food only when we go out to eat. This way we can share. And he's his, you know, he doesn't have to eat gluten-free, but he's in solidarity with me mm-hmm. and making sure that we're getting those, you know, a good meal for both of us. And so I think it's really about surrounding yourself with good people, having good friends. My mother-in-law, she's like the ultimate entertainer, loves to have us over. She is so careful and she's become quite the gluten-free cook, right? And <laughs> because she loves me and really creating a gluten-free meal is an act of love for, for people can't eat gluten. And so I'd say like, I don't need anything. You don't have to buy me any jewelry, any gifts, but the act of kindness of being able to have me over to eat for a safe meal is enough. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's all that perspective is really surrounding yourself with really good people. And um, even when traveling though, I will say one of the fun parts of traveling is because I am deprived of so many foods is that you do seek out these places that you can eat. And I remember we went so far and wide in France to find one restaurant, one cafe that had gluten-free crepes. So I could have them. And we sat in this cafe and we savored, we ordered like four different crepes (laughs) and we were having the best time. And it was like part of the adventure, part of the travel 
Was it harder or did we have to take more time out to go seek out these restaurants? Yes, but it was, it really is part of the journey and uh, hopefully makes me better, my husband better and my kids better for it too, like recognizing that, that we do have to accommodate everybody in this world. And how were those crepes? They were pretty good. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wish, I could, wish I could have them again. Actually, I'd say there's another restaurant in Paris that was this 100% gluten-free pizza restaurant. Ooh. It was the best pizza I've ever, 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 ever had. But um, overall, France was very hard to navigate gluten-free. But there's amazing places like Italy where it's it's illegal. You can go to jail for serving someone with celiac disease gluten. They take gluten so serious and they supposedly have some of the best pizza and bread there for celiacs, which is amazing. Um, I'd also say Europe is really, a lot of Europe is really good. The UK was really amazing with gluten-free. Some of the highest celiac disease rates in the world are in Finland. And so hopefully one day I get to go to Finland and experience the food there mm. as well and feeling a little bit more normal. And, and here in the U.S., I hear Portland has some of the best gluten-free restaurants, the most or the most gluten-free restaurants per capita. So, and I'm very lucky to live in Denver, which is also a very good gluten-free restaurant kind of world. So, well, good. So now I want you to tell us about your book, Dear Gluten. It's not me; it's you. Yeah. Well, so I wrote this book, uh, sort of my story of breaking up with gluten and it's definitely written as if gluten is my ex-boyfriend <laughs> and he had and he had to go right so um what I have found is that breaking up with gluten there was obviously the physical components of breaking up with gluten getting it out of my life some of the physical withdrawals and things like that and even that emotional connection and emotional burden that I went through but I learned from this whole journey and I bet you did too is that it was a little bit more than gluten. Like I had a broken body in a way, like I broke my digestive system, but I couldn't see it. Like I could see a broken leg and I know to stay off my broken leg. And I know not to go run a marathon if I break my leg, but I couldn't see my broken digestive system. And the healing for me took a long time. And that's when I started to realize there was more than just removing gluten and more than just eating gluten-free donuts, which I love, by the way, <laughs> more than just eating gluten-free do donuts to cure me and to help me. And so um, I write a lot about that healing process and some of the techniques that I did to heal my body post celiac disease. And, um, you know, I actually enrolled and went back to school to study nutrition and um, started to experiment myself with things like intermittent fasting. And I experimented with juicing and resting my digestive system and really rebuilding my gut health from the ground up. And so I talk a lot about that healing from that, that bad breakup as well, you know? And so it's kind of cute. Like I even have a whole chapter dedicated to consciously uncoupling with gluten and things like that. <laughs> so it's definitely written as this breakup story with gluten from you know, that physical breakup to that healing and emotional healing and that journey. Awesome. What about your blog? There's a lot uh, on your blog. Right. Yeah. So my blog is called good for you, gluten free. And uh, I write a ton about celiac disease, gluten sensitivities. I have a lot of recipes. I have a lot of free resources there. And so just really have this ongoing commitment to serve the gluten-free community and really help our community not only survive, but thrive. 
-hmm. in this crazy diet that we're all kind of stuck in. (laughs) And um, I encourage people to sign up for my newsletter, which you can sign up on my website because I send exclusive information and tips to my newsletter community. And then I'm also on Instagram at good for you, gluten-free. And secretly, I just joined TikTok a few weeks ago, which I'm just way too old for TikTok, but I've been sharing some videos and recipe videos. So if that's your thing, um, you can find me on TikTok as well. Awesome. So what is something that you would say to your fellow celiac or even just gluten-free friends? Is there any advice you would give them uh, going forward into the future? Oh, well, (laughs) I give a lot of advice, but you know, with someone who's new to celiac and new to the gluten-free diet, I always say that it's never going to be easy. It just isn't, but it will get easier with time. And I think that's like, if you can just be okay, that it's going to get easier with time. You're going to know what brands you like. You're going to know what restaurants to go to. You're going to have to train your friends and family a little bit to be able to enjoy a meal together. And so it does really, it really does get easier with time. Um, And I also think that this is a journey. This is a healing journey. You are never free from celiac. I can't just pop a pill and be cured. I can't, you know, do the only thing I can do is maintain a gluten-free diet. If I go back to eating gluten, all my symptoms will reemerge and then I become at risk for all sorts of other disorders. And so it's really a lifelong uh, change in diet, change in attitude. And I really think that we can, like I said, we can live long and healthy lives with celiac disease and we can feel very blessed that we are able to control our, our disease with diet. And it's not more serious in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and I've thought about that several times. I would much rather have this than a peanut allergy. Right. And those, yeah, peanut allergy can be very life-threatening on the spot, life-threatening where you and I might be, you know, held up in the bathroom or in our bed for a few days. Um, We're not going to probably die (laughs) immediately from a gluten exposure. And I had seen, um, it was something my husband had found and they were talking about peanut allergies and it was at um, like a Chinese restaurant. Maybe one was a Thai restaurant, but they had asked if they were gluten-free. They said, yes. Um, one was a younger girl. She was taken to the hospital. She was a teenager. She was taken to the hospital. She was fine. The other guy had gotten something to go, like taken an Uber or a taxi home and he actually died at home. And then when they saw you know, the, he like had a bite and he didn't have time to call anyone. But then when they went back to the restaurant here, it was cheaper to get this seasoning with peanuts instead of almonds. And they said that that's very common for restaurants to use the peanut because it's so much cheaper. But, um, I, I would take this any day over that because that is so scary to me. Right. And I think what this, the bottom line is that everybody is going through different challenges in life. And this is our challenge. This is our unique challenge as an individual and as a community. And um, right. And, and, and I think you also pointed out here is that, you know, gluten is not an allergy. It's not something that we can immediately die from, but it is a slow drip death if you do <laughs> gluten <laughs> in some respects, but yes, I think a lot of people always feel like it could be worse, right? Um, but we just count our blessings as a community that that we have each other and that we can control our disease with diet. And that 
our prognosis is good. We're going to go on to live healthy, long lives. That's my hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I love it because my goal is to encourage people to live better, do better, be better. And you do the same thing every day. So I'm so glad that we could meet and chat today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for, for this platform. I think you're helping so many people. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.